Legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. And I'm really excited today to have our guest on, Brandon Steiner. He's a trailblazer in the world of sports marketing and entrepreneurship. He's the founder and president of Steiner Agency, the nation's premier independent athlete procurement source, as well as Collectible Exchange, an online platform for fans, collectors, store owners, celebrities, athletes, and teams to buy and sell collectibles. So um, welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks for having me. I love doing these pods because it gets me thinking about, you know, how I'm going to get better, how I'm going to improve, and then some of the mistakes I made and how I can avoid making them again. You and me both. So you started Steiner Sports in 1987 with a one-room office, $4,000, and a single Mac computer. How did you get into collectibles in the first place? And did you collect cards or memorabilia as a kid? What, what was the first significant piece of memorabilia you remember owning, but basically, how did you get into this? <laughs> well, first of all, the, the 4000 bucks didn't really get me a whole office. I was in an office share, but I think winners win and, you know, winners win. Part of winning is figuring it out. And uh, I was very grateful at 29 years old I was able to do that. You know, I started with 4000 bucks, and I was really just a sports PR firm. I was just doing PR and I had been very involved with a sports bar theme. I was like selling closed circuit fights. I was helping sports bars promote because I had opened up some of the first sports bars ever in the country. So when I started this little sports agency, I was just marketing players, nothing to do with memorabilia. And then my wife called me one day and said, you know, when we have dinner, I want to talk to you about something. She was like, I think you need to go get a job. I don't think this is working. And the problem was is that in those days, in the early 90s, you know, athletes weren't getting big money like they're getting now. And what I did is that when I when I told my wife, no problem, I'll start looking for another job, I went to the bank and I took out another $10,000. And, and, and I always say your first idea is not your best idea. And I think a lot of times success gets in the way of more success because you're feeling it. But your first idea, rather than trying to find another idea, I say that most of the time the idea that you're on usually has more legs to it. And if you go down deeper, really get out of your head, think about why that idea worked, think about how other people feel about that idea what they're thinking about that idea and you'll find the white space how to take that idea further and collectibles weren't that big a deal back then but i'm thinking you know while i'm going to go to an appearance with roger Staubach, maybe i go get some helmets and i go get a few things get them signed sell them to the client and i take a few things back and sell them to some people every time i did an appearance i was doing so many of them i'd have a player sign 10 20 things before you know it i started selling those things and people started calling me so i started buying my stuff and that's how i got steiner off the ground really i mean just trying to build on. I never thought Steiner was going to be a brand. I just was building on all these appearances. And, you know, what's ironic about it, I started my new company four years ago, Collectible Exchange, and I started the same way. Relationship building, be kind to people, go the extra mile, wake up nervous. I love the wake up nervous. I say wake up broke. Because a lot of times you have a false sense of how successful you are based on how much money you have. But the reality is we're all 
we're all rich just because we're good human beings, we're good people, but how wealthy we are, you know, our, our self-value, what we have in the bank is very uh, subjective. So I, I just choose to wake up broke. And I use that as an engine that really gets me motivated. So I think it's really important to have compassion and empathy to take your first idea and not move to another idea, but keep your first idea, maybe go further with it. And I think that, you know, obviously you don't need to have a lot of ideas to really do well. You need to have one idea that you want to keep drilling at. So I want to give you a quick story, if you don't mind. There's a guy named Jack Taylor, founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Now, Jack Taylor was on a Navy ship called the Enterprise. That's why he named his company Enterprise. And he, when he left the Navy many, many years ago, he went to work for a Cadillac dealership. Now, at the Cadillac dealership, he noticed a lot of cars were in accidents, breaking down, and people needed lender cars. They needed you know, a replacement car for a week, two weeks. He went to the Cadillac dealership owner and said, do you mind if I get some cars and I rent them out to people that need a car that are got into an accident? He says, no problem. He gets four cars, boom. Now, Enterprise Rent-A-Car is not only the largest uh, rent-a-car agency in the world, it's bigger than Budget, Avis, Hertz combined. That's how big they are. But do you know what percentage of cars that get rented? What percentage is it that people just go rent a car up and start on vacation? Or they're touring, they're, they're, they're at the airport. They I'm going to say 50, 50%? 15%. The Enterprise Rent-A-Car really isn't a rent-a-car. It's a replacement car. If you go to any collision shop, a, call any insurance company, you need to get a car, it's Enterprise. First of all, he strategically set up his location so that he can fulfill all the people that need cars that have maybe gotten into accidents or, or are getting fixed. And he's worked out deals with every insurance company, collision shop, tow truck, everything. And they control the replacement car business. Only 15% of the cars that are rent down on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. You may think you're in a pretty straightforward, one-lane highway type business, but there's always another way to look at it. That's a little bit what I did, by the way, with my company. Because I looked at it from a customer's standpoint and said, what do you do if you have all these collectibles? Where are you going to sell them? Where can you trade them? But it's a mindset of how you want to look at things that really gets you to the big dance. Now, you did well, I mean, very well with Steiner Sports. But when I say this next part, people aren't going to believe it, that you bought Yankee Stadium? I bought the old Yankee Stadium. I was just finally doing my deal with the Yankees, Yankee Steiner. And I went to the Yankees at the tail and I said, look, if you ever build a new stadium, I want to be able to buy this old stadium and sell it off. And I said, you know, look, it's not going to be in the contract, but we promise you. So when I said I bought Yankee Stadium, I, I did buy the old stadium back because the city owned it with the Yankees. I partnered with them. What better company to partner with the Yankees? But what was important was that I was able to talk the Yankees into selling this thing off in a very unique, different way. A lot of times when you see stadiums getting uh, either knocked down or getting renovated, you know, the, the team just want to get done with the old stadiums to get on with the new one. But if you have history there, you need to show that stadium before you take it down. You need It's like a funeral. You need to show it class. You need to show it respect. Because a lot of people invested a lot of time in those memories and moments. And if you don't show it that, what are you saying to the fan? So what was nice is that the Yankees really got alongside them because they know how important fans are. So rather than just selling the most expensive parts of the stadium, we broke into 100,000 pieces. The Yankees helped me with a two-year marketing plan. And I think Yankee fans, I, I really feel they're extremely grateful because that stadium meant a lot to us. We were selling bricks. I sold well over a couple million dollars of grass. Um, we sold the outfield wall. We sold the foul pole, the freeze up in the top. We cut it up, melted it down. The carpet in the locker rooms, we turned it to doormats and car mats. 
there's nothing that I didn't touch. And uh, I, I love it that it's sprinkled all over this country because that stadium, that stadium was like one of a kind. Who was your first athlete or cele- celebrity that, that, I mean, you you booked all these speakers, you booked these appearances, but was there one early one that really made a difference in, in your your life? Oh, without a doubt. There are a few, but, you know, definitely Otis Anderson after the Super Bowl 25. He was the first guy that really signed up exclusively. And then Phil Rizzuto was probably the most pivotal one because he was a Yankee. The Yankees weren't that good yet. He was a Hall of Famer. He was incredibly important. And the same year that I signed Rizzuto, but then also I signed Mark Messier to an exclusive deal. And he was the one who really helped me kick off my memorabilia deal. You know, it's like anything in life. You know, when you find a great relationship, I mean, that's such a blessing. And I've learned, even though I was young then, and anybody listening that thinks differently, but if you want to show me somebody who's got a great business, it's somebody who has great relationships. I can't emphasize that the relationships you have, take none of them for granted. You know, you can't stop feeding and nurturing the relationships you have um, because they're too hard to find. You've worked with so many people, Derek Jeter, Eli Manning, Carmelo Anthony, Bill Walton. I can go on and on and on with the people that you've worked with. What have you learned yourself personally about leadership and teamwork well you know once you meet a player but then i'm like how the hell did you get to be how'd you get to become who you are so i was smart enough not to get too caught up in the hype and realize that the good lord brought me to connect with these people and i and i think anytime you meet somebody who's really talented and great at what they do i believe that people are positioned on this planet and they and you are positioned to meet them the world's a classroom everyone's a teacher man listen my, my thing on leadership which comes from a combination of a bunch of different athletes is one, fix what's broken. You, you want to get credibility as a leader, whether it be in your area or community, your job, find out what's broken, fix it. You want to take what you're really doing well as a leader, figure out how to do it better. And then as a leader, make sure the people around you are safe. It's one of my really valuable lessons from Joe Torrey. And then the last thing is that I really learned from Derek Jeter and Mariana, particularly, there's no such thing as a big game. If you're going today, I got a big meeting. What are you saying about all the other meetings? And I'll tell you a quick story. I was sitting in spring training in Tampa and I was doing something with Mariano after the game. And then the fourth thing, sure enough, who comes down sits next to me, Mariano there. Now I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was a little early in my career, but I say, listen, I thought you were pitching today. He goes, I just pitched the last inning. I said, I didn't see it. He goes, well, I go, it's no big deal. He goes, no big deal. That was one, two, three. I threw eight pitches. I got three guys out in a row. I said, yeah, but it's just spring training. He goes, no. When I get on the mound, whether it's March, April, June, game seven, ninth inning, I never alter it. I just pitch the same way I would pitch in the World Series game seven. Every time I go on that mound, it's the same mindset. There's no such thing as a big game. I'm prepared on the highest level every time. Do you treat every call, every customer with the same level of intensity and focus? Or do you predetermine and examine and alter depending on how big you think it is? Because I'll tell you, you come in my office any day of the week here at Collectible Exchange, and you will not see a variable on my performance and my attitude, whether you're spending a dollar or a million. Doing this interview with you now would be the same as if I did 60 Minutes. If I did any level of media, I would give you the same level of focus and love and attention. Every pod is a big pod. Every interview is a big interview. Every player is the most important. I treat them all the same. I'm getting chills hearing you say that because to me that's integrity and it's why you're where you're at in your life. Talk to me a little bit about getting out of Steiner business and getting to collectible exchange. How did that transition take place? Was it just you needed something new in your life or what was that all about? Well, it's not a great transition. I mean, you know, just to be transparent, I got my ass thrown out of there. Sometimes when you get to a high level, 
and this is probably the best lesson I learned is that, you know, when you get to a high level, you start winning big, you got to expect, you know, to lose big. And I think that if you believe that losing is not the opposite of winning, but losing is a big part of winning. One of the hard parts is that you win more, you're going to lose more. And I think a lot of times people have struggled with that, including me. And, and you should expect, you know, if you're going to win and play at, at big stakes. Well, the losing is on bigger stakes. I think when I look back on it, it's a blessing because I love the fact to be able to build and start from square one again. But it was epic. I mean, everything I did at Steiner was crazy. And, you know, I not only built a business, but I probably kind of in a lot of ways built an industry. So I'm really grateful to have an impact because that's what you want to do. You know what I mean? Like You want to have a, a little legacy and you want to be able to say, hey, you know, I did something that actually mattered. And I definitely think that the products and things I created really did make a difference. As much as it hurt to leave Steiner, it's been even more of a blessing to see where I'm going now and that the customer base has followed. That was a big bounce back for you. And like you said, when you play big, you have to be able to lose big too, to learn from it and grow. And I, I always talk about BBF, bounce back fast. How did you bounce back from it? I went back and reflected on the mistakes that I may have made, some things that I probably shouldn't have done. I went back and listened to every pod. You know, I've done hundreds of interviews. I went back and listened to everything. I wanted to know where my head was at, what I liked about where my head was at, what I didn't like, so I didn't go into the next thing uh, with a, with the same kind of uh, thought process. I wanted to make sure I altered it to make it better and also more authentic to how I really felt at the time. I realized I was on a highway, and I say this to your listeners, what if you were on a highway and you could be wherever you wanted to be with no red lights? Who would you be? And and that's what I that's that's the highway that I got on. It's like, you know, what is it that's important to you? What do you want to do? And I've realized that that's kind of how I have to live the rest of my life because I think we're all on a highway and we all have the opportunity to go on there without red lights and we all have the chance to be the person that we want to be and do the things that we want to do. And there's some accountability that some people may be facing than others, but you'd be surprised how much more freedom you have that you probably don't take advantage of to ultimately chasing your dreams. And I'm a big dreamer. If you're out there and you are having to be a big dreamer, what you have to be careful of is just because you got a great dream and just because it really makes sense doesn't mean it's going to work. So I say dream big, sample small, fail quick. And what I've learned to do now is I used to go home and tell my wife, I got this great idea. We're going to make millions. It's going to be huge. I tell all my friends. And, and, and many times the stuff did work and many times it didn't work. But now what I do is I take a much more low-key approach. I'm trying it. I'm testing it. Because I'd rather not get caught up in, oh, you said this is going to happen and this. and then, No, no, I'm not, not. I'm a winner no matter what. I'm never going to fail. Because I was just trying it and it may not have worked. It doesn't matter where you're at. It only matters if what you're willing to accept. And my whole common denominator my entire life has been a high level of non-acceptance. When I grew up poor, I was just wasn't willing to accept it. And even when I got moved out of my old business, which I love Steiner, I wasn't willing to accept that being the end. So I did something about it. You know, take action over anxiety. It's easy to get yourself all worked up and crazy. But the way to always resolve some of that in any way is just take action. Matter of fact, I'll give you an example. It was Black Life Matters, COVID. I called my wife up and said, I'm not going to be home for dinner. I'm going to be home late. There's this lady that ordered a gift for her husband's 50th birthday. And I realized it didn't get delivered. Don't go into the city. It's dangerous. I said, no, honey, I'm going. I'll be home late. Goodbye. I get in the car. I drove the piece in. She was in an apartment building. Had to go through all this security and maze. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, you're Brandon Snyder. You deliver me this? I'm like, 
Yeah, of course, man. We didn't ship it by accident. I know it's your husband's 50th birthday today. I thought the lady was going to faint. But I wanted to send that message that everything matters, and we want to have that hands-on, take-care-of-people-at-all-costs attitude. So, you know, showing up and doing the little things, they're not important. No, no, they're everything. Just such good stuff. Now, you've, you've written three books, The Business Playbook, um, Living on Purpose, which I love. Well, it's probably my favorite book and my best book. Uh, I, that's the book I promoted the least. But if you're in your 40s, it's a must-read, and I love that book. It's it's a book that, that I put together because I, I feel like I needed help. And when I turned 15, I realized that I made a lot of money but I sucked at pretty much everything else. I was like, I don't want to go down this way. Like, I thought I was always going to be a great husband, great father, one of those guys you always want to be a friend friend of mine. And I think the book really shapes it out. Because what I did is I went into the bookstore and I said, what's the number one book on health? What's the number one book on spiritual? What's the number one book on losing weight? What's the biggest book about how to make a lot of money? And then I would just call all the authors up and I started doing all these pods. So I did almost 300 pods with some of the most famous people I could find. And then I extracted all the information I learned from them and put it into a book. And that's Living on Purpose from John Gray, Ken Blanchard, Harvey McKay. I mean, I went to the best of the best, the sleep doctor. The Cliff Notes version of all the speakers and traders and people that are authorities on this stuff, all in one book, right? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, if you have ADHD, you're not reading our whole book. Hello. There's no way. <laughs> Who's reading the whole book? I'm figuring I'm giving you the clip notes in all these areas. And I say at the beginning of the book, I say, you want to lose weight? Cut off your arm. There's no shortcuts. You want to get close to God? You're going to have to die. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You want to get rich? Go meet somebody who's a multimillionaire, a relative, and hope they die and put you in the will. None of that's happening. But here's the shortest amount of notes I could give you to just be a better spouse, better parent, better friend. Man, oh, mighty, oh, man. How about this? You got to have balls. I mean, first of all, you got to have balls to have a book that comes out like that. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about where that, where that idea came from. Well, the, the got to have balls, which was my mother's favorite line. At first, a lot of women were hesitant to put me on talk about it. But then I was like, no, it was my mother's. Like, when you read the book, it's not a huge sports book, although it has some stuff in there. But it's really a book about everything my mother taught me. I was like a kid that listened to his mom. And some great, great parenting advice in there, to be honest with you. But really what happened was, is every time we go to a wedding or a bar mitzvah, how'd you do this, Brandon? What'd you do? And finally, my wife's like, I've had it. I'm not, I'm not going to these things with you anymore. I'm tired of hearing the stories. I said, you know, so I think I was going to write a book. Somebody comes up to me and says, how'd you build Steiner? How'd you build it? Here's the book. And uh, that worked out pretty well. It's definitely made it made a lot, my marriage a lot better because a lot of people still walk up to me. And they want how things rolled and I can just give them the book and they're happy. But you got to have balls about being tenacious, about being fearless. I had a really good business relationship with my mom. You know, we were really poor. We were always trying to get ourselves out of a hole. And she was a brilliant businesswoman. And she went through a lot of great, great lessons to she teach me, even at an eight, nine-year-old, about how to really make a lot of money one day and also things to avoid, particularly laziness and people that didn't put their heart and soul into stuff. And she would cover all bases from service, branding, optics, attitude customer service she would take me through it all and show me by calling up customers talking to different people how to appropriate way to deal with people and the appropriate way to, to build up a brand to build up a business and uh i stole everything from her and then i decided to put a lot of it in a book so of course i said at the beginning of the show um the name of our podcast is let's talk legacy and i know that's important to you to make a difference in people's lives you said it two three times in our show today what does legacy mean to you you know, for me, for me, first of all, I, you know, 
my first my kids and you know, i love the way they go about their business none of them have an interest in this business but you know i think when you raise children and they're out in the world and you can respect the way they go about their business well you know you've done a good job with your legacy because they're there to carry it forward and if they're doing the right things and that that's a blessing and you mean you you've done the right thing i think you know as far as for me personally like i think the most important thing is and i'll probably spend the rest of my life doing is try to pay all the people back that enabled me to have this life I have. You know, just a high level of growth and a high level of gratitude. I always say happiness resides on the cross section of growth and gratitude. And for me, there's so many people that have helped me along the way. It's not like I'm that smart a guy. Like, I, I don't even know where, you know, I've, I've, sometimes I get, you know, I get flabbergasted, but I don't know where to start to thank all these people other than to try every day to thank as many people as I can and to pay it forward. But for what I, what I did for many, many years, actually almost 20 years, now I do this a little less, but pretty often, is I always have two acts of kindness every day. I try to do two things for two people that don't even see it coming. And uh, I'll, I'll send something out, check a gift, book, some kind of act of kindness to just try to help somebody along. And usually a few hours later when the mail comes, I get two really nice thank you notes. So I, I think, you know, for my legacy, is like, I don't know. I don't know what people are going to think or whatever they think think of me or whatever I, I've done it on this planet. But what I want to make sure is that in short, the one avenue of trying to help as many people as I can, because that's one of the main reasons why we're here. Two last questions for you. Everything you built, it seems like from what I've read and talking to you today is built on relationships. And so much has happened in our world, especially in the last several years about divide, you know, um, whether it's politics or whatever it is. Okay. And I, I know that it's important that we're all human beings and that we all see the other side of people and that we have relationships with even sometimes people that aren't like us. How have you been able to, over all these years, build relationships? And these, these are with some people that have the biggest egos in the world, and they have to because they're asked so much of so many people. They've got to be confident. And these people have sacrificed these people that you're working with to build this huge empire that you've built in this space. They've had to learn to say no, and they're not necessarily easy people to work with, but you've been able to build relationships. What advice can you give to our listeners about making relationships stronger and how to build relationships that mean something? One small footnote is that most of my speaking, the money for my speaking, my books go to charity. So I feel like I'm always helping somebody grow at the same time, taking that money from a book purchase or a speech. So it's a tremendous feeling when you give unconditionally. But to answer your question about relationships, one of the things that's really important is this thing called radical acceptance. And I wish that more people would understand that. And that is when you're dealing with an issue that you really can't affect and can't have an impact on, you can radically accept it. And you got to radically be able to listen. So radically acceptance and radical listen means you got to be able to listen to somebody that's looking you in the eye that not only disagrees, but they are vehemently against everything you stand for. And be able to absolutely listen and absorb it in and look at it as, at the very least, a learning experience. I, I want to know their view. Maybe I'm missing something or maybe I can convince him of something, but I won't fight over it. I'll listen and, and, and great. And, and listen, I talk to a lot of people that I don't agree with, but I've learned to radically listen, which means when you radically listen, it means you're going to talk to someone who completely disagrees, but you can't necessarily have an impact to change them. There's no, no clear path to that. But you still want to listen. And I think that it's a very important ingredient these days in leadership, that you have to be able to listen to people that you don't agree with. So in order to educate yourself and know how people are thinking, 
So if you think about the political atmosphere in here, whether you're a Trump person or not, let's say, or a Democrat, it's pretty much split. So if you're against one way or the other, you're ignoring 51% of the way people think in this country. I refuse to do that. Like, I want to know how every, if you're going to be a true entrepreneur, again, and empathy and compassion is thinking about how other people think, that means you have to get out of your head, not get so caught up in your own thinking and principles, but absorbing and understand what other people are thinking and feeling. And that's how I maintain a lot of relationships and I keep that authentic because I, I don't really listen, but I, I show interest in what they've got to say, even if I agree or disagree. Absolutely. Last question. How can someone get a hold of you if they want to get your books or they want to have you speak at an event or they want they have a collectible type question or something that they want to do? Are you accessible? How would they best reach you? I mean, I, lo- I love it all. And I, I try to answer all my all my uh, messages on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. If you go on, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm active. I'm posting. I'm sharing everything I know and everything I've learned as much as I can. I'm one of those guys. And I really do answer, you know, if you, I, I, I respond to everyone and, and I enjoy it. You know, something like you want to have a lot of great relationships. Well, that's work. And I don't mind putting in the work. So I, I, I schedule that time. I don't expect to keep in touch with a lot of people just by it's just going to happen. You have to schedule it. I schedule time multiple times a week to go through messages, go through contacts, go through my social and make sure that I've responded, return calls, return texts, return messages. And I really, really, really uh, screw up there. And I'm sure it makes you feel good too, because if you have a lot of demand and then you're responding to people that really truly want to ask you things, it makes you feel like I'm, I'm giving and I can tell you're a giver. Gosh, Brandon, thank you so much. Our show has been on for almost two years now and we've had so many guests, but the information that just you just talking with you, our listeners are gonna get get so much value out of. I, I know I personally do. I'm I'm a junkie for this kind of stuff. When I heard you were gonna be um, on our show, I knew our listeners would love it. So I thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.